0: Brian McClanahan Show, episode 428. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 myths of American History, and the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support or click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com where you can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going, get a book plate, get get an autograph on one of my books, excuse me, and I've got a whole bunch of books out. Southern Scribblings is my most recent book, but there's many others. The Founding Fathers Guide to the Constitution is what I'm going to talk about in this particular episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. You can also go to learn true, T-R-U-E LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my fiddle link for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom and a whole lot of other great instructors. Also, you can click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. All kinds of ways to support the show. If you buy a class at McClanahan Academy, of course, it supports the show and you get great content. All kinds of ways to support the show. Also supporting the show can mean just sharing this podcast on social media, rating it wherever you get your podcasts, letting people, you know, you're listening to the show. That's a great way to support the show as well. Sending me recommendations, things you want to do. And the last episode was a listener generated episode. And so is this one. So I want to hear what you have to say. Let me know what you think. And this is an interesting question. And one that, um, I was actually pressed on about a decade ago after I published my Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution. So let me, the the, the gist of the question is this, and let me read it to you, at least one part of it. Um, The question is, what what would have happened if the Anti-Federalists would have won? What would have happened had the Anti-Federalists won? Meaning that the Constitution was not ratified. So would things have looked dramatically different in America had the opponents of the Constitution actually won during the ratification process? Now that would have taken it would have been very interesting because what would eventually had to happen, actually had to happen, is you would have had to have one of the major northern states, principally Massachusetts, oppose ratification and and there was a lot of opposition to it, right? Barely passed. The Constitution barely passed in Massachusetts. Okay, so what would have happened, say, if Massachusetts had rejected the Constitution? New York, where it only passed by a few votes, rejected the Constitution. And Virginia rejected the Constitution. This was highly possible when the Constitution was sent to the states for ratification in 1787. So Massachusetts ratifies a document in February, and then it's in the summer when you get New York and Virginia of 1788. But by the time New York ratified it, it had already been through nine state ratification conventions and been passed by nine state ratification conventions. So it was already going to be put into effect. So New York and Virginia were, I mean, it, it, was, it didn't matter whether those two states ratified the Constitution. So now, now I say it didn't matter. If those two states did not ratify it, the Constitution would have been not a dead letter, but it would have been difficult to work, right? Because you would have had these two very large states, very powerful states, out of the Union. You would have had Massachusetts and Pennsylvania in it. But, I mean, imagine Pennsylvania split from New England by New York. So if New York didn't ratify it, you've got New Jersey ratified it, Pennsylvania ratified it. But if New York didn't, well, then you've got a split now in the entire New England, you know, eastern states, they called them. What happens if Virginia didn't, but yet you had South Carolina ratify it and Georgia, North Carolina was still out there, too. So you had two, only two Southern states, but two other Southern states now did not ratify it. I mean, this would have made a very interesting process. So, what would have happened had these states not ratified the Constitution? But I think we need to get into some language here. And this actually works with another question that I was asked. You know, what is, is the United States a nation? Is it not a nation? Or what do we have? So when you go back and you look at these ratification debates, and and this is what I'm doing in my latest courses at McLean Academy, the originalist papers. And there's going to be a book to this effect. Probably sometime in the late summer, I'll put out all these essays that I'm I'm using in those classes in a book. And so this will be, in my mind, the real Federalist Papers, but I call it the originalist papers. But these are the these are the speeches and documents you're going to need to know when it comes to the Constitution, and ratification, because that's what originalism is. It's how the Constitution was sold to the states when it was ratified. Okay, so when you look at those documents, the term that was typically used during this period of time was a federal republic, and it was used by proponents of the Constitution to describe what they were getting with this general government. They were getting... The same thing they had under the Articles of Confederation, which is a confederated republic or a federal republic. Confederal and federal are the same things. Federal comes from confederal, right? So these are the same things. as a federal republic. You're going to get a central authority that has certain enumerated powers delegated to it by the states, which are the building blocks, the pillars, as they were argued over and over again, the pillars of the general government. They're the entity, the people of the states are those that gave the central authority its powers through the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, mostly, right? And so you have a confederated republic, a confederal republic. So this is what we have. We don't have a national government, even though you have people like Madison and others arguing for this Frankenstein thing where you have a national government for the House, federal government for the Senate. That doesn't work, right? You have to have one or the other, really. You really do have to have, either has to be a federal republic or a national government. Because if it's a national government, then that's a whole different operation. And Essentially, that's what we have in D.C. now. This is how they operate. They operate as a national government under a structure that provides for a, con, a, a federal republic. So, I mean, this is, this is the confusing part of the United States. It's why people get very confused about these things when they start talking about it. Well, wait a second here. You're saying we have a national government if you're but yet we have federalism. You can't have both. Madison tried to argue for both, but it doesn't work that way. This is what 1861 to 65 was all about. There's no prohibition in the constitution on states leaving the union. It's not one of the powers denied to the states by Article 1 Section 10. They can leave if they want, right? But if that happens, then you're really admitting that you have a federal republic and these states only thereby uh, acceding to the document, which is the, a term that was used, they acceded to it. That means they can secede from it. You see. Now we can talk about whether that's wise or, or good to do at this point or not. But this is this is the structure of the entire government. Now, if we have a national unitary state, then you can't. You can't leave. There's no way you can leave. It's a nat- one size fits all, top down, like France, a unitary state. The French government is from the top down, and the, the separate parts are at the will of the center. And they can't leave. They can't leave at all. So what do we have in the United States? We have a confederal or federal re- government, a federal republic. This is what we have. To say it's a republic is, is missing the point, too. You can't just say we have a republic or a representative republic. No, no. We have a federal republic with these separate constituencies making up the government. And we know the states can do this, and we di- they did this because states can create counties and cities. We know the federal government cannot create states. This is what the entire speech was about that John C. Calhoun made with the admission of Michigan. Only the people can create states. The central government cannot create states. They have to be. It has to be done by the people thereof. They can set maybe the parameters for doing some of these things, but they don't create states. States, once they are admitted, have all the powers of their sister states. So the central authority does not create states. It never has. These are big questions to get out of the way. So let me get into what I think would have happened. This is inference now. I mean, I, I can't tell you what would have happened, but let's just say for fun, Massachusetts doesn't ratify the Constitution in February of 1788 that the people like John Hancock and Sam Adams had enough clout, which they had a lot of it, to ensure that the Constitution is not ratified in Massachusetts. So, it goes down there. Now, we've already got a number of states that have ratified at that point, but this whole idea of, Um, an amendment, adding amendments, that just fails. Okay, We're not going to do that. This was one of the arguments that was made. What opponents wanted to do, many of them, was call a second convention. This was brought up in these ratifying debates. Well, if we call a second convention, what are we going to get? In fact, in one of these originalist papers that I talk about, that was discussed at quite quite an extensive length of the address. You know, okay, so what if we do this? Well, what's going to happen? We're going to get a situation. We're going to call new people. These people won't be as good as the people we just sent because we're going to send different people. So George Washington won't be there, for example. And that's who this author was generally referring to. Washington won't be there. So we're going to send all these new people, and they're going to probably come to a similar conclusion. The Articles of Confederation is broken for commerce and defense. It doesn't work. Now, Patrick Henry, of course, said it did. It worked just fine. But it doesn't work. We're going to come up with a lot of the same kind of stuff, and this is what's going to happen. We're going to get the same thing presented to us, but yet it's going to be worse. It's not even going to be as good as what we got. So we should just adopt what we have and then amend amend it if we need to. So that was an argument, right? We, we don't ratify the Constitution. We call another convention. The opponents of the document were focused on one thing almost exclusively. Now, they brought up all the stuff, the president's going to be too powerful, they're afraid of the courts, afraid of the federal courts, swallowing up the state courts. All these things have happened, right? I mean, what the, the opponents of the document were more than anything else is they were uh, supremely far-seeing in what was going to happen with the Constitution and the powers of the general government. But what they really feared more than anything else was that we were going to lose the federal republic. We were going to lose the ability to maintain this federal republic. And you know they were called out on this. Well, you want you're putting the states ahead of the center. That we've already had that. It doesn't work very well. So why do we want to continue this? So the question is, how would this work with commerce and defense? Well, I think what would have happened... And, and I'll get in 2012, and I, I started this with, with the story before I say what would happen. 2012, I had a guy contact me on Twitter, and he went back and forth several times with me. And he thought he got me because I said in there, which I would say now, I, I don't care who hears it, that I don't think the Constitution was very good because it left open this question. It needed to be one or the other it needed to be a national government or it needed to be a federal republic. And I think the Constitution has fundamental flaws in this way plus is too ambiguous. You can look at Madison 44 and Madison 46, and you can draw two different conclusions of what James Madison wanted out of the Constitution. Right? In one case, in 44, he's arguing for essentially implied powers. And then in 46, he's saying, well, if the general government goes beyond its powers, its enumerated powers, well, then you can essentially nullify. But which one is it? I mean, how do we define, how do you say going beyond when there's implied powers? You've got Hamilton using the word expressly to talk about powers of the central government in some of the early essays in the Federalist series, but yet he's also arguing for implied powers at another point as well. You've got proponents across the United States. It did not matter where you're talking about. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Virginia, Massachusetts, New York. I mean, it doesn't matter. You've got people across Connecticut where we have any kind of evidence. You've got them all arguing that what we have is a federal republic and we've got limited powers for the center and the states will not be destroyed. And the states have a fundamental role in this, and that is the domestic concern. So the only thing we would have had was commerce and defense. So what I would say to this argument, what I would say to this is what would have happened? Well, I think you might have seen something like the New Jersey plan with some modifications. If the Constitution would have failed in 1788, if enough states wouldn't have ratified it, or let's say the big states of New York and Virginia, and maybe Massachusetts, if those three states, and this is what Jefferson was hoping to pull off. He he said it, even if we got nine states, if the big states weren't involved, they'd have to do something else. And what he hoped would happen would be a convention where they pulled amendments in. And that was the whole promise of the Bill of Rights. But you see, of course, the Bill of Rights created a national environment. I mean, this is this, these things are problematic, too. With commerce and defense, I think this issue could have been solved very easily with certain parts of the Constitution. This was brought up. One of them, of course, is to ensure that states couldn't pass tariffs against each other. You have to create a free trade zone within the states. That was a big issue, and I think one that could have been solved very easily, without a complete restructuring of the government, right? So you would have had some discussion about that issue. How can we create an environment where we've got states that can't pass tariffs against each other? Now, tariffs overall, a compulsory action on the states to abide by the, uh, the treaties that were signed, trade treaties that were signed by the United States, is another thing that you probably would have seen come out of a convention. It didn't matter what convention, you would have had that. And when you see the proponents of the document talking about commerce, this is what they're getting into. In fact, one Massachusetts delegate, his last name is Dawes, said, look, all that money that comes out of the South to New England, that's our money, to England, I'm sorry, to Great Britain, that's our money. That should be New England money they're essentially taking our money from us because we can ship stuff and they're putting it on on english ships that should be new england money new england money you see this was a rub this is why george mason wanted to ensure there weren't any navigation laws he wanted to ensure there weren't any protective tariffs no protective tariffs no navigation laws we can we can regulate commerce between states by having a free trade zone, and we can give up this power to the central authority because essentially this is what the founding generation recognized the British government could do before the American War for Independence. They could regulate trade, but they couldn't regulate the internal affairs of the states. If anyone thought that would happen, in fact, John Rutledge of South Carolina, when pressed on this in the Philadelphia Convention, when there was a a proposition for a Federal negative of state laws. He said that alone ought to damn the Constitution. We're not We're not going for that. There's no negative over state laws. We can come here, we can talk about commerce and defense, but outside of that, this is all we need. So I think you would have seen with question of commerce, you would have seen some type of proposal put put forward to ensure you had a free trade zone between the states and that the central authority could regulate international commerce, that treaties, trade treaties would be compulsory on the states. You would have seen that. Okay, So that's one. I think that's what you would have gotten at a new convention. You would have had something like that put into place. Now, what about defense? It would have been the exact same thing. This all goes down to the taxing power, though, and I think this is part of the problem with the Constitution. They're very vague about what a direct tax or indirect tax is. Now, they talked about it. A direct tax would have been something like what we call an income tax, right? A tax that's placed on individuals directly and not indirectly through a tariff, uh, you know, something like that, an excise tax. Even those could be argued are direct taxes. But there would only be, I mean, the question of taxes in the Philadelphia Convention and then ratifying conventions, more importantly, when that was brought up, well, I mean, what are we going to do here? Taxes are going to be used only when we have a war. We're only going to tax you directly when there's a war. This was actually said. Because in a time of peace, we're not going to need it. The states will have all their taxes. The federal government taxes will be so low because it's only going to be really a a tax on a tariff. It'll be so low that you won't even feel it. Now think about how that's all reversed today. You pay more in federal taxes than you do in state taxes, much more in federal taxes than you do in state taxes. The federal tax rate is much higher than it is at the state level. And the states do more things. Well, some of this is because we flip, we've inverted the entire process for how we think about spending. And this is what, you know, the Biden administration is trying to block in some of their some of this COVID relief stuff to the states, which are now being sued over it, when they put provisions in the bill saying, well, even though we're going to give you this money, you can't lower taxes. Well, why not? I mean, if you're going to give us the money, we don't have to raise the money ourselves anymore for it. We should not We should be able to lower taxes and just use it. If we're going to create a unitary state, well, let's have all the advantages of that in that citizens of states really don't pay any taxes. You just paid federal tax, and that's about it. Why do we have to have all these levels of taxation? If that's what's going to happen. I mean, you see, in America, it, again, this crazy confusing thing of, of a federal republic and a unitary state, a nation state, if it's going to be the United States of America, well, then just go for it. Abolish the states. This is where I had a, a friend from Oklahoma, uh, when he was in the represent the Oklahoma legislature, put forward a bill to abolish the state of Oklahoma. Why even have it anymore? What's the point? Because all we're doing is taxing people for what we have to get permission from the federal government to do everything. They're already giving us all this money. Why don't we just abolish all of this? Get rid of all that layer of expensive of government. Take a- take all of that out, and just have you know the the federal district of Oklahoma and have these people then become federal employees and you just pay them out you save all these save people all this money state you don't have state police anymore you have federal police you don't have uh, local police you have federal police i mean this is what you get because if everything is federalized and this is where you get into i mean Gosh, you know, all the federal apparatus going into state and local police agencies, all this stuff. I mean, this is where you get all this. So if you're going to do it, just abolish it all and be done with it. But we don't do that. Why don't we do it? Because we realize the structure of the United States does not fit that way. So for defense, when you get into taxes, well, certainly you would have to have some compulsory operation for creating a military in times of war. But I think what you would have had is a greater reliance on state militias. Now, You could say, well, that doesn't work in the modern era. Well, I mean, look, what is going on in the Middle East? A lot of times it's Guard units being deployed, being nationalized, and then sent over the Middle East. Yes, you have a regular army, but you've got a lot of Guard units that have been doing this for years. It's essentially what we're doing. We created the National Guard, which was unconstitutional, by the way. We created a National Guard, so that took all the power out of the states essentially to raise these things, even though, you know, you still see uh, commercials for it. Join your state's guard and, and do things for good there. So you can do this, you know, go in and uh, stop riots in Minneapolis or whatever it's going to be. So this is what the guard, I mean, you got to go and help, you know, hurricane victims in the south or, you know, tornado victims, whatever it is. And these things happen. Or you go and put, uh, give people Johnson & Johnson vaccines, whatever it is. This is what we're going to do with the guard. But the idea, of course, would have been to have some compulsory operation where the states would have, been, would have been forced to send money when requisitions were made to pay for the military. Because that was the real question. Uh, can the states be compelled to do this? Well, they can't under the Articles because under uh, the Articles were passing resolutions. So there would have to be some compulsory operation for certain things. But I think what you would have seen is a much more clearly defined federal republic had the opponents of the document won the day. And we wouldn't have seen a national government the way that eventually we saw it after that. No national government. A federal republic in structure as well as name had the opponents won, but there would have been in two areas, commerce and defense, you would have had some compulsory operation, now, how that would have worked, would we have seen a unicameral legislature or a bicameral legislature? I don't know. Would we have had would we have maintained that? Would we have created an executive branch? I think people were willing to create an executive branch. Even the opponents of the document recognize that maybe this thing is necessary at times. But the way it was done, they were they were fearful of it. Uh, should we have a judicial branch? Would would some language been put in that would have prohibited Uh, federal, uh, I'm sorry, uh, state court decisions being appealed to federal courts. Would that language have been stuck in there somewhere? Maybe. Would the executive have had a, a much more limited veto power? Maybe. I mean, these are things we might have seen had the opponents been able to make inroads and actually get another convention called. You might have seen a much less centralized power under a constitution. I don't know because it never came out. We see with the Bill of Rights what they were looking at, namely the Tenth Amendment. When you look at how that amendment came out of the states, it was typically number one on the list that actually uh, that states actually proposed to the general government. One, or at least in the top two or three. We're going to have a state sovereignty amendment because this was the thing that people we- worried about the most. is what they feared the most. we got to have the states represented in this government. So, To answer the question, I think you would have had a much stronger central authority in terms of commerce and defense created with compulsory operation. But only in those areas, and I think there would have been some express language put in the document that would have limited the power of the central authority beyond anything else. And it would not have been as vague. And this is the real problem. This is what I said to this guy 10 years ago now. He thought he got me. Oh, yeah, there you go. You don't support the Constitution. You run around saying you support the Constitution. You don't support the Constitution. I said, look, I mean, I I don't, I never have made the statement that the Constitution is perfect, ever. In fact, nine presidents of the group of America, I gave you amendments, which I thought would improve the Constitution. There are many things I think that we could do, but we've got to decide. We've got to pick a lane. We're either going to have a unitary state or we're going to have a federal republic. And I hope that if you listen to this podcast, you'll side on the Federal Republic. Because what this does is give the states a lot of flexibility to do things to reflect the political will of the people of the state. I've lived in a state now for the last year that has not seen the lunacy that some of these New England states have suffered under with the lockdowns and everything else. The state that I live in has been pretty much open for the last year. I mean, it has been. There's been, there's been very little shutdown. There's been some inconveniences on some things, but very little shutdown. And this has been good for the people of the state because it allowed people to continue on with their lives for the most part. And I would say probably by the fall, probably by August and September, we get back, you know, where I live, we get back to school in August. By August, September, everything is going to be just like it was in 2019. I don't think there's going to be any question that that's going to be the case. You're going to see more and more opening back up in this part of the United States, which is the southern part of the United States. You're going to see more and more opening back up in New England areas. And, of course, what Oregon now is talking about, having a permanent mask mandate. You just got to wear masks forever. Well, I mean, this is the lunacy of New of Oregon. If you don't want to live in that, I'm thankful I don't live in that. And We don't need to govern the United States like Oregon or California. Let them be them and let the rest of us be us. And this is how things work better. All right. So, again, listener-generated episode, two questions. I hope I answered them the way you wanted me to or the way you thought. Uh, You uh, asked me to, I should say. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.